Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Stir an attention again to Isaiah 6. We'll just read from verse 5 on. Then I said, I'm doomed, I'm ruined, because I'm a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, carrying a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this has touched your lips, so your guilt is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You remember what we heard Jeremiah say last week when God called him to serve as his prophet? I'm only a child. I'm too young. I can't do it. Or what about Moses? Remember as God called him from the burning bush and said, I want you, Moses, to be the one to go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go and lead them to the promised land. And Moses came up with all kinds of excuses. I don't know how to speak well enough. The leaders of Egypt, of uh, Israel, they won't listen to me. How can I convince them that you're the one that appeared to me? And finally he just said, I really don't want to do it. Just find someone else. He didn't think he was able to do what God was asking him to do, even though God had given him some miraculous signs to perform with his staff and promised that his brother Aaron was on the way to help him. What about David? Even his own family didn't think he needed to be there when Samuel came. They sent him out to tend the sheep. Who in the world would ever thought that Saul, the great persecutor of the church, would be the one that God chose to be the great missionary of the church? As we heard in our gospel lesson, who were the apostles? These people that Jesus chose to be the foundation and the leaders of the New Testament church. Fishermen, a tax collector. See a pattern? All throughout the Bible, God tends to choose the most unlikely, the most unexpected people to be the ones to do his will, to share his word. He chooses people who are humble, people who acknowledge that they don't have the ability or the power to do what God is asking them to do on their own. But then God inspires them, encourages them, enables them to do what he asks them to do. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Isaiah's background. He mentions he's the son of Amos, but that doesn't help us a whole lot because we don't know who Amos was. From other things he tells us in his book, we can figure out that he lived about 740 B.C. His ministry started when Judah and Israel were at the height of their power and prosperity, but as we look back on it, we realize that was the brink of a cliff. 
When King Hosea died, things went downhill very quickly. God called Isaiah to be his prophet. We don't know what he was doing when that happened. We don't know if maybe he was like John, maybe he was in prayer on the Lord's Day. That's when John got the vision we call Revelation. But whatever he was doing, suddenly God gave him this beautiful vision, enabled him to see the Lord, high and exalted, sitting on his throne, the ruler of all that exists, his robes filling the whole temple. And like many of the other prophets who had visions, he saw that the Lord was attended by angels. He calls them seraphim, burning or glowing ones. And he says they had six wings. Each pair was used for a special purpose, two to cover the feet, two to cover the face, and with two they were flying. And they were calling back and forth to each other like an antiphonal choir piece, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. Which helps us understand why these angels were covering their feet and covering their face. Even though they are holy angels, able to be in the presence of God, they recognize that he is the creator and they are the creature. They recognize that he is their Lord and master and they exist to serve him. Now, seeing God in his glory, sitting on his throne, attended by angels, wasn't enough to strike fear in the heart of Isaiah. There was a booming voice. And that booming voice caused everything that he was seeing in his vision to shake. What was Isaiah's response? I am doomed. I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. A lot of times you hear people say, well, if only the Lord would show himself to me, then, then I would believe in him. And to those people we say, be careful what you ask for. Isaiah understood what God had told Moses. No one can see my face. No one can be in the full extent of my glory and live. The only reason Isaiah was still alive was this was a vision. He wasn't physically in the presence of God. He was seeing it in the vision. And even just the vision filled his heart with terror as he recognized his sinfulness. He felt the full weight of his sins resting on his shoulders. And he confessed what's true for him and all of us as sinners. We're doomed. God should send us out of his presence, away from him to spend eternity with the devil and his angels in the fires of hell. We're doomed because of our sin. In the gospel lesson, we heard Peter have a similar reaction. In the presence of Jesus and seeing this miracle that he had just performed, he recognized, well, Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Holy One of God. His response was to fall at Jesus' feet and to say, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. If God were to show himself in his full glory, 
that'd be the end of it, we would literally be frightened to death. When you're tempted to think of yourself more highly than you ought, if you're ever tempted to think, look at me, Lord, look at all of the great gifts and things that I have. If if you were to choose me, I could do really great things for you. Well, put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Stand in the presence of the glory of God through his word. Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells to the Galatians. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. As you put yourself in that place and you hear those words like Isaiah, you'll be moved to say, I'm a person of unclean lips. There are many things that I've said that I shouldn't have said. I've been guilty of gossip. I've been guilty of lying. I've been guilty of saying things that are hurtful to someone I love, someone close to me, or to others. I've been guilty of cursing and swearing and using God's name in vain. I've been guilty of what James warns about. I've gathered with my fellow Christians and used my lips to praise God, and then on the way home, maybe use my lips to say something snarky about someone who's at church. Those things should not be, James says. But we're guilty. Those are just the sins that we commit with our lips, not to mention our thoughts and our words and our actions. If we're going to be of any service to the Lord, first of all, we must stand in the glory of God and let his glory convict us of our sin and our inability to serve him, our worthlessness before him. Isaiah thought he was doomed. He thought that any minute, glory, lightning bolts of glory, would come from the throne of God and just wipe him out. That's not what happened. Instead of getting what he deserved, he got something beautiful, something wonderful. He saw one of those seraphim flying to the altar of God and taking a coal or a hot stone from that altar and bringing it to him and touching his lips. And yes, this is a vision, so his lips weren't burned off. But then he said some beautiful words. Look, this has touched your lips. You admitted they were unclean, and they are. You've been guilty of saying things you shouldn't have said. But this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Talk about a mood sling. Isaiah was in the deepest depths of despair, thinking he was doomed. And in just a few seconds, as long as it took the angel to say those words, now he's on the highest heights of joy and thanksgiving to God. He could have said, I thought I was doomed, I thought I was ruined, I thought I was worse than dead. But look what God did. He sent this angel to me. Not only to pronounce those beautiful words that my guilt was taken away, my sin was forgiven, but even to give me something visual that hot coal, to show me that I've been purified as through fire. 
how his heart must have been filled with joy and thankfulness to, to overflowing for what God has done for him. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe there was a time when someone gave you a really unexpected gift, one you knew you didn't deserve, one you knew you could never repay them for. It was just exactly what you needed just at the right time, and you were just filled with joy and thankfulness for what that person did for you. Think about the gift that God has given you. It's a gift that you don't deserve. It's a gift that you can't ever possibly repay him for. It's the opposite of what you deserved. It's a gift worth more than all of the riches of the world put together. It's the gift of your forgiveness. It's the gift that Jesus purchased for you by taking your place and living perfectly, by going to the cross and shedding his holy, precious blood in your place so that now God can say to you, your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been paid for. Now today, God doesn't send us an angel from the Old Testament altar with a hot coal and touch it to our lips and say, you're forgiven. But he sends us people, fellow Christians, who proclaim to us what God has done for us in Jesus. He sends us a pastor who comes to us with bread and wine, connected with the word of God, that says, this is my body, this is my blood, given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin is forgiven. How can we not respond the way Isaiah did and have our hearts filled with joy and thankfulness for what God has done for us? And like Isaiah, when we hear the Lord say in his word, in the needs of our children, our spouse, our parents, our neighbor, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? With hearts filled with joy and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us, we say, here am I. Send me. Send me. But of course, we all know there are times when we're a lot more like Jeremiah or like Moses and saying, eh, I just can't do it. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I really don't want to. Send someone else. When we find ourselves doing that again, stand in the presence of the glory of God. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Recognize, I'm doomed. I'm ruined. I've sinned. And then, hear those beautiful words of God. Your guilt has been removed. Your sins have been paid for because of what Jesus has done for you. And then you'll be enabled, then you'll be inspired, then you'll be filled with joy and thankfulness and being able to say, Lord, how can I serve you in faith and how can I serve my neighbor in love? Here am I. Send me. Amen. Please stand.